Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote. And as always, Lynn and I are delighted to have you with us. Right now, we're starting the second part of Caitlin's story. Um, If you caught the previous episode, then you know she grew up uh, strongly committed LDS, um, married in her faith, married in the temple, um, family that was also strong in the faith. And yet, while doing everything she thought she was supposed to be doing, things were not going well. She had issues with her marriage that escalated to abuse, verbal, and then to a point where she did not feel safe even at church with her husband. And so, yeah, so you'll need to get all those details in episode one. But what we want to do now is, um, Caitlin also just went through a number of family tragedies, um, after her divorce and really was wondering what God was up to and finally decided that if she wasn't good enough for God, then why bother trying? And so when we ended last week's episode, she had been about six months just kind of living life on her own terms, um, doing anything she could to feel something. And God steps back into the picture and kind of speaks to her and from what it sounds like, the message you heard at first was a little bit scary. So I'm going to have you start there, Caitlin, with what you heard God say, what you thought that meant, and then where you went from there. Because looking at you and knowing what I know now, um, your life has done, has there's been some radical changes in your life um, oh, yeah. that God's been a part of. And so we're looking forward to hearing that part of the story. Okay, so picking up there. Um, I heard God tell me you're done acting up. You're coming home. And I thought that meant, um, you're dying tonight. And I was like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I'm a single mom. I've got a three-year-old daughter. There's still a protective order on her dad. I'm not sure that that's an option right now. And it didn't seem like it was that extreme because I woke up the next morning and I was like, okay, so I'm supposed to go back to church. But the feeling was that But if I'm not worthy for you, why would I want to go to a church that tells me I need to do more when I have nothing left to give you? And so I started really kind of, I did go back to the Mormon church, but it just didn't mean the same thing for me. And I was really doing a lot of self-reflection at the time of what about God do I know to be true? Putting aside anything that I've ever been taught before, what do I know to be true? And I'm a mathematical person. And in math, they have graphs. And on the graphs, there's little dots called outliers that don't line up in the graph. And to me, I was like, taking out those outliers, what, what do I know is true with Christianity? And the first thing I came to was the Bible. All Christians believe in the Bible to some degree. And so I was like, if it's not in the Bible, I don't want to hear it. And the other thing I knew was that losing my dad 
and my mom getting divorced from my dad at a young age. And I was close to my stepdad, but at the same time, like every child wants that genuine, authentic relationship with their biological parents as much as possible. Right. And I didn't have that. And I was like, I want a genuine, authentic relationship with God, whatever that looks like. Mm. And if using those two things put me back in the Mormon faith, then I was getting what I wanted. And if it wasn't, then I needed to figure out where that was. Growing up in Utah, deeply embedded in Mormonism, you don't really get a lot of structure behind what else is out there outside of the Mormon faith. So this was a very scary thing for me at the time. And that's the question I was going to ask you was, had you had any exposure to traditional biblical Christianity, whether through friends or incidental contact? I mean, how much did you even know about other churches? Because you said you were in, you were still in Utah this time, right? Yeah. So I had lived for a short time in Colorado from the time that I was nine until I was about 18. Okay. So I had about nine years of out of Utah experience, but even during that time, I tried to come back to Utah as much as possible. Right. But my exposure to outside Christians was a little scary for me because in Mormonism, you're taught that you um, worship kind of inwardly, more quiet, more reserved. And these Christians that I was seeing were praying around the flagpole and playing loud music and drinking, you know, coffee in high school and eating donuts in the library. And, you know, sometimes I snuck in there to get out of the rain. (laughs) When I would go in there, they were talking to God, like, you know, Hey man, what's up? And I was like, I don't think that's how you're supposed to talk to him (laughs) because the (laughs) language in Mormonism um, prayers is very, very, very structured. And so I was a little terrified of biblical Christians because all I knew was what they're doing is not how you're supposed to do it. So I didn't really know what else there was out there at first. And so I knew I believed the Bible and I knew I wanted a true, genuine, authentic, fatherly relationship with God that I did not get from my biological father. So where does that take you? (laughs) Oh, It kind of goes where I have one foot in the Mormon faith and occasionally I would go visit another church and just kind of searching a little bit for a while. And then I met my second husband and he wasn't terribly active, but I really was trying to, I felt like that I had been wandering long enough and I needed to make a commitment to something. And I made the commitment somewhat reluctantly to go back to the Mormon faith and went back to having callings and wearing my garments again and going back to the temple once a month, even without a husband, because he didn't have a temple recommend. So we weren't able to go together. And so that wound up being actually kind of scary and a little lonely because I was going to church by myself and I kind of felt like a married single mom in the church because spiritually I was the one taking the reins and I was like as a woman in the Mormon faith that's not what this is supposed to look like I want to back up just for a second my brain keeps going back to something you said five minutes ago um it's so I think God does draw us at certain points right like he spoke to you but you totally misinterpreted 
because all you know is Mormonism. And exactly. so because the Mormon church tells you, if you want to be more righteous, you read the Book of Mormon, you go to the temple, and you know nothing about a personal relationship with God, right? And so even though God's reaching out in this personal way to gently teach you things, your mind is not open because you you just you don't know that God can do that. Exactly. When I ended up writing the book, I went back and I saw that God had been calling me for years, probably most of my life, right? And Mm -hmm. because I was within this framework of Mormonism, I couldn't see it. All I could see was Mormonism. Mm -hmm. It lays an overlay over the Bible. It lays an overlay over your brain. Yes. And, um, And so I love the idea that you actually had the courage to step out and go to a Christian church. That's pretty amazing. A lot of strong Mormons would not have done that, especially Mm -hmm. not close to home, right? And a lot of my going to another Christian church was that I wanted to see, it was more of trying to find out what was wrong in their faith that made the Mormon church so much more right. And oh, it completely backfired. <laughs> it completely wow. backfired. So it actually everything turned on its head when my daughter, it was Easter Sunday, and she had to segue into this. She had previously made a friend at tr- at school that they were in choir together, and she had a play date at this friend's house and when I went to pick her up I found out that this family was not LDS but that they were Christians and I was like oh okay but she was she was nice there was nothing like I didn't have anything wrong (laughs) I didn't didn't know that this was the pastor's wife (laughs) wow and yet the book of Mormon says right that Mm -hmm those Christians removed plain and precious things from the Bible and that Satan has power over them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I certainly thought they were ruled by Satan, even though they seemed like nice people. <laughs> yeah, they were. She was amazing. And so um, it was Easter Sunday, and it also happened to be general conference. Those not of the Mormon faith twice a year the main church leaders at the Salt Lake headquarters hold a huge broadcast over the weekends. And in place of going to church, the Mormons stay home and watch this worldwide broadcast. And so it was conference weekend and it was also Easter. And so we never made a big deal out of Easter baskets. We just had like an outfit, a movie, a couple of treats, maybe a stuffed animal. And then we let church take care of the rest of the spiritual things. Yeah. And so Um, My oldest came out and had on a dress and at the time I had her and one and one other child and she came out in her dress and she said, okay, I'm ready to go to church. And she was, I think she was six or seven when this happened. It was, she was seven. And I said, we don't have, we don't have church today. It's conference. And she just looked at me with this defeated look and it was just heartbreaking. And she said, the three most heartbreaking words that I've ever heard out of a seven-year-old. She looks at me completely defeated and says, mom, it's Easter. Wow. And it hit me like she, she could have swung a bag of rocks at me and it would have hit less hard than what that did. Mm-hmm. And it hit me that it meant so much to her 
to go to church on Easter that I had to do something. And so I told her, I said, do you want to go to your friend's church? Because we happen to live right behind it. And I said, do you want to go (laughs) to your friend's church? And she says, yeah. And so I looked and it showed, you know, that their church started in like half an hour. And I was like, well, she's already dressed. So this will be easy. So we hurried and put on clothes and I knew, you know, Christians are allowed to wear jeans and I was already in jeans. So I was like, I guess, you know, just run a brush through my hair and let's go. And if we look horrible, then we'll come home and watch the afternoon session for conference and call it a day. Like, what else do we do? And so I took her to church because it meant a lot to her that we went to church that Sunday. And while we were sitting there, I was terrified. I was like, why are people drinking coffee in the chapel? (laughs) (laughs) I was scared. I was scared to death. I was like, I am in the lion's den. I don't know what I'm doing. Lightning is going to strike and I'm going to hit too because I'm so bishop is gonna find (laughs) out. I'm gonna have to hand my temple recommend back over. Like this is not gonna be good. But I just got this feeling of just listen, just listen. And um, the pastor gave the scripture, which has stuck with me to this day in Psalms, be still and know that I am God. And the other scripture he said is my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I was like, well, that's nice because I could definitely use a break at this point. (laughs) And so I remember being so overwhelmed and just hearing those two scriptures and going, I need to let him tell me what I'm doing and not try to figure out what he's telling me to do. I just need to let him show me what to do. And this poor pastor, after the service was over, I went to his office. I was like, can I talk to you? And he was like, yeah, of course. So we went into his office and I was like, I need you to tell me the answers to this and this and this and this. And when I would address that in the, in the Mormon church, it was, Well, it doesn't explain that in the Bible, but it explains it in the Book of Mormon. And me with my outlier mentality was like, no, 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 no. I need you to tell me on the Christian graph here where this sits. And they couldn't give that to me. And this pastor was like, it's right here. And just turned the page. It's right here. And he could show me the Bible says it right here. The Bible says it right here. And I was like, this is what I've needed for five years now. This is what I've needed in my life. And... He broke my shelf that day. There's a analogy amongst former Mormons that we're constantly told, you know, just put it on a shelf and bring it down later. Put it on a shelf and bring it. And eventually your shelf just breaks because there's so much weight on it. And I remember that he told me that the Bible doesn't talk about a huge apostasy, a great apostasy. And that collapsed everything. Because if there's no great apostasy, if there's no great fallout, Joseph Smith had nothing to restore. Right. Yeah. Unless the apostasy is total, then there's no need for a restoration. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what I thought is I was like, you can't restore a building that's not broken. So what I was like, that completely changes everything. And so from that moment on, I was like, I don't know where I was devastated. And then things started to add on after that too. I remember reading in just small things. I remember reading in Genesis, the geography of where the garden of Eden is. And I was like, I remember reading in the Mormon faith that it's supposed to be in Jackson County, Missouri, Yep. but the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, 
I mean, I got a C in world history. I'm pretty sure it is in the Middle East. <laughs> and I remember going down some of these rabbit holes. The city of Enoch is taught in the Mormon faith, where this righteous city was taken up and translated into heaven. There's no mention of that anywhere in the Bible. And I remember seeing all these missing pieces and going, where did they come up with this? And it just kind of led me into more of Christianity, where things were starting to make a lot more sense to me. About I find it so fascinating, though, that you trusted the Bible. That was mm -hmm. something I really had to overcome, right? I didn't, the Mormon church had told me not to trust it. I didn't trust it. But I love the idea that you're thinking two billion people believe in God and, mo and all those people accept the Bible, right? So yeah. what does the Bible say? I just love that. So What's so cool is you can use your brain and faith. If yes. you have your brain, it's logical and it works. So, Caitlin, had you started reading the Bible on your own then some once you decided that this was kind of the source? Had you done like personal Bible reading? Had you started to do I any had. of that? Okay. I had. And I had actually started writing in a notebook about I started in Psalms and started writing about, you know, people are singing these praises about how you don't have to be worthy for God. And, you know, nobody's worthy for God, but that you know, God's still accepting of them. And so I would write those things as it hit me and the questions. And I would go back to the same poor pastor. I'm like, hi, me again. <laughs> and my list of questions. And he was very, very, very patient with me about answering every single question I had. And honestly, um, both him and his wife played a huge part. And a lot of other people in that congregation played a huge part in me leaving the Mormon faith. And so my second marriage, actually wound up not working out either but now I'm married to a Christian man who has actually not heard of Mormonism before he had heard <laughs> a little bit of it because his ex-wife was part of an inactive family so he's kind of learning as I'm learning Christianity he's learning where I learned growing up about what Christianity was and he's like where did you, where did you hear this and I would, you know, so it's kind of fun to kind of learn each other's background as we're navigating this together. Yeah. So did salvation come to you before you found this Christian husband? Tell us about the specific decision time for you. And what so was it that I, kind of rolled you over? When the pastor had told me that there was no fallout, that there was no apostasy, I was done with Mormonism. When I had found that out, I was done with Mormonism. I had no idea where I was going from there, but I was like, if that's what's taking me back to you, then you're going to be stuck without me because I can't, I can't be okay with that on my conscience and go back to that. And that was where I cut ties with the Mormon faith. When my second husband and I got our own apartment, I had told him when we stepped in there, I was like, we will never step foot in another LDS church again. Hmm. And so I had kind of made the decision, but I hadn't gotten baptized yet because I hadn't found a church home. I was still questioning. I was still trying. And I had this idea that I needed to learn everything that there was to know about Christianity before I got baptized. And that's just not uh, going to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. But I was scared to death of getting myself involved in a religion that 
didn't play out how it was supposed to, like I had been for 30 years. And that was a very real fear to me. Yeah. And so um, my second marriage didn't work out either. We just, we, we make really great parents. We just, it was just a situation where we did not make a good couple and we're still good friends. We get along great with the kids. And so it just wasn't a thing that was going to work between the two of us. But um, when I met my current husband, he came from the Bible Belt of Texas <laughs> and was in, he grew up in the Pentecostal faith. And I was very much like, oh boy, you guys are end of times warriors. <laughs> like, this is going to be interesting. But we would, we really sat down and I dug into him like I did with the pastor and he was able to do the same thing. This is where it says it. This is where it is. This is this is what the Bible says. This is what Christians believe. And he invited me to go to his church that he's been going to. And I didn't have a church home we were dating at the time. So I just kind of followed him there. And when we went in, I was scared to death because I was like, why are we in a rock concert? Where are we? Because <laughs> the lights were down. They had drums and guitars. I'm a musician. I was like, these aren't supposed to be at church. <laughs> and so I was a little worried. I was By then I was used to the coffee. The coffee station didn't bother me at this point, but now okay. I was like, okay, we don't have these. <laughs> and so I walked into the church and when they started to play the music, like I said, I used to dance and I was a musician. And so I was like, I really started to feel more with the music than I was with the worship music before. And it was kind of like, this is the missing piece that I needed. I needed to be able to feel joy while singing praises to God. And I wasn't getting that. Not that hymns aren't pretty or anything. It just wasn't the same that, you know, it's okay to bounce around a little bit and be happy with the music. And I had to break my comfort zone with that. But when I did, I was like, this is the missing piece that I've been looking for. That one small thing that is kind of minuscule, but it meant a lot to me. And I think that God saw that and was like, here you go, let's go here. And so that's the church I wound up getting baptized in. And then we were married actually just five months ago. Oh, and things okay. are going well. Yeah. So, so how's life different now, Christian and Mormon? Can you compare? Can you give us reasons why people might want to Think about traditional Christian faith. Um, I remember when I did get baptized, this is, this is a big thing for me was that growing up people, oh, I felt the spirit so strong. I felt the spirit so strong at church. And I'm like, I don't like, we didn't do anything different. I don't understand. And it went back to the worthiness thing. Am I not doing enough that I'm not feeling the spirit? And I remember the day I got baptized, I was terrified because it's a big deal. In the Mormon faith, if you step out of the Mormon faith and get baptized in another, you've pretty much claimed apostasy on yourself. So it, yeah. it was a huge deal coming from being in such a deeply embedded faith and such a deeply embedded family in the faith. This was huge. I was scared to death. I remember going in and getting baptized and stepping out and all of a sudden just this feeling hit me of just like everything that I had ever been worried about everything that had ever been bothering me was just off my shoulders and I remember I couldn't do anything else but cry and I'm not a crier 
<laughs> I don't I don't cry at funerals, I don't cry at weddings, I don't cry at church, but that day I cried. And I remember God telling me, this is what feeling the spirit is like. This is what you've been looking for, for your whole life. So now, um, and this is so cool, Caitlin. So I want to also like link go back to something earlier and the whole worthiness factor, okay. the whole, because within the LDS faith, it's all about what you do. It's about your performance. Mm -hmm. um, how is that sense? What is it now that makes you worthy before God? What is it now that makes you acceptable to him and lets you enjoy um, just being in his presence? So the way that I compare it is that I also do a lot of sewing projects. Okay. And you know, I've created a lot of projects. I've created blankets and stuffed animals and all sorts of things. And, you know, sometimes they gave me a hard time. I'm guilty of this. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they gave me a hard time. Sometimes I had to go back and fix something. But when it was done, I was like, I, I did this. I made you. And so I kind of feel like that God is the same way with us. Is that he's like, yeah, you were a pain in the neck for a few years, but I made you. We went back and we took care of it. And now <laughs> <we're here. laughs> she's talking about the sanctification process, which yes. is lifelong. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Thank well, you. Really appreciate you sharing your story, Caitlin. Um, it's cool to see what God has done and trust i mean that's what we're all at we're all in that sanctification process continuing to learn more about god's grace and how much he loves us and how much it doesn't depend on how well we're doing and how, how well we perform and so we just wish you well we love this wonderful body of christ thank yes. you for pouring your heart out today joel and caitlin um grace and peace until next time so long Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. Mm -hmm.